Welcome to Speaking of Humanity. I'm Nahama Robinson, developer of the Unconflict Personality System for Supporting Relationship, www.unconflict.com. Hello and welcome to the Relationship Breakthrough Show from Aligned With Love. I'm Matt. And I am Rebecca. This is the place for people to have a magical, loving, intimate relationship. Thanks for joining us now. Let's get started. There are numerous different tools that analyze and understand personality types. And these can really help us understand the different challenges that we are most likely to experience with different people in a relationship that could have a different style to the one that we have ourselves. Now, the difference between enjoying a relationship with a compatible person versus struggling with someone who is less compatible or even incompatible can be like night and day. And while we can make any relationship work if we're really committed to it, we're gonna be uncovering today why we may struggle with a partner of a certain personality type. And I'm delighted to be joined for this session by Nehama Robinson, who is a matchmaker and expert in personality profiling and conflict resolution. She's also the host of the podcast, Speaking of Humanity. Nehama, warm welcome to the show. Thank you so much. What a beautiful introduction. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. That really warmed my heart. Excited to have this conversation because it relates so strongly to this area of relationships that we're both so passionate and interested in. So I can't wait to get started uncovering some insights that this can really help us in making sense of our relationships. So um, the first question I wanted to ask Nahama, if I may, is, um, as I said in the intro, we're going to be focusing today on personality profiling. And I'm curious to find out how you came to be so fascinated by this area. Growing up, I always felt different. And I always felt like everyone's unique, but other people had an easier time understanding one another than I, I thought they had uh, understanding me. I felt it was difficult for people to understand me. So it was from when I was very young, I, I just felt that there was something there. You know, I didn't know what that was about. And, and as I got older, um, really, that just kept playing out in, in different ways. Um, and I'm very much an individualist. So the idea of a personality system actually offended me to some extent because I felt like it really was very limiting. And it sort of any personality system indicated that the number of individual personalities could be reduced to a really small number. And to me, that was not accurate. It was offensive. And then um, I came to understand how personality systems can actually account for individuality. And so there was a very specific journey, which would be a lot of details I won't go into now about how I specifically developed my personality algorithm is how I refer to it. And I, for me, specifically determining or, or, or kind of understanding or specifically arriving at a method for accounting for individuality was a priority. I see. Fantastic. That's, that's really interesting to, to think about that. And uh, just on this idea about having models, and it's maybe yes. worth just thinking about why we'd even have a model of exactly. personality. What purpose would it be? 
Um, as yeah. you say, it can be triggering for people. It's like, what do you find that are people's like hangups or challenges about this idea of having even a system? So what's really interesting is I think that I have more uh, hangups, if you will, than any people I speak to, people tend to like the, most people that I encounter actually like the idea of being understood in a framework. I think for most people, it's actually comforting. Um, There are specific personality types, you know, uh, that will be actually more sensitive. Uh, They're more individualist and don't want to be put in a box. Um, So I'm of that personality, but the truth is that most of the people that I encounter are tend to be in personality with tend to be of the personalities that are more interested and find it, find it comforting versus annoying or offensive. That's right. Lots of people do find this so interesting, don't they? You know, you can't magazine without the formula or someone talking about it. It's something that so many people resonate with, isn't it? It is. It really is. It really is. Um, And I think that, you know, mostly, like you say, if you look online or a lot of websites, it's relatively superficial. And I'm not I'm not putting that down at all, because what it does is it starts the dialogue for people. It helps people, even if people feel understood in a very limited way, very superficial or surface way, they feel seen. That's really what it boils down to. People want to feel seen. Right. Um, and, and in our culture, we don't we don't want to I'll, I'll say it like this. I mean, we don't typically our culture wants instant gratification. You know, we don't want to have to. Sort of figure out, sit down and we don't want it to be a long process to figure out who someone is or to be understood, you know, on either you know whether to be whether we are the one who's seen the other person or we're the one who wants to be seen. Um, we, we want it to be instant, right? We don't want to sort of have to say, oh, this is brand new, brand new individual. We want to be able to take shortcuts. And so the key is to be able to create a shortcut that actually is helpful in the long run as well. That's not just a, mm. you know, instant and we're done and there's nothing you can't really take it anywhere you want to so you want really you need to have both you need to have something that gives an instant sense of wow and then also then if you stay with it can support you more and more and more along the way with different situations i think that's a great way to look at it nahama i I love that point about you know is this something helpful does it yeah does it move move us towards a solution does it move us towards better understanding and yes. I think this is a useful thing to consider in general that, well, let me just share an idea about this. And I'd love to get your thoughts. You know, sometimes people get hung up around whether something is like ultimately true or correct. And it's a really difficult one because, well, lots of ideas have been considered to be true mm-hmm. and then to be reevaluated at some point in the future. Yeah. And people say, well, that understanding, it wasn't quite right. But I just wonder whether it's more important to be true or correct or to be helpful or useful yeah. as an interim gonna, idea. Well, let, let, let me just, that really makes me um, laugh, not laugh at it, but laugh laugh with it. I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, so my particular personality type um, in conjunction with the culture that I grew, grew up in really prioritized being right, very much prioritized it. So, I mean, this is, I'm 57. Um, 
decades ago, I made a comment to someone that um, prior to that point, and, and it's still a journey for me, but if someone had asked me, would you rather be right? or Would you rather be happy? I would have said, what a ridiculous question. Of course, I'd rather be right. Okay, because, because for me, for my personality, that's, I prioritize that. And so that's okay that that's where I was. Um, I've also realized as I've matured that um, it's, that's, not, that's not actually truthful at a very core level. Like that's not really, that's actually not true. Like, and again, it's, it's complex, but I think that, so, so to answer your question, I think there are a couple of important points. One is that different personality types prioritize the veracity or, you know, the accuracy of something to different extents. And that's just, that's okay. We don't all have to prioritize accuracy to the same extent. Some people can prioritize more. Some people can prioritize less. That's not a problem. The challenge is when you have two people who are trying to communicate and they prioritize that differently, that's when it can cause friction. And, you know, we can talk about that. But, right. So you were talking about being right versus being helpful. So I think, again, helpful is, is sort of parallel to being happy. It's sort of a tool that makes people, what does helpful really mean? It means it helps people feel better, right? It helps people be happier. So I think that to me, helpful and truthful are actually not mutually exclusive and not even completely separatable. They're, they're intertwined. This podcast is about but deep philosophical discussions about, you know, are we all just an illusion? You know, that whole thing. So we're not talking about reality at that level, but reality is the reality of experience. So if something is helpful, it is true. It is real because it's, it's, it's having an impact, you know? So I think that reality in general is subjective in different ways. So I think there's a lot of, depending on how deep you want to get into it, but, but really None of those things are sort of black and white, if you will. Mm, of course, different perspectives, different emphases, which is great. And I'd, I'd love to explore more as we go through. We can come to blows or come to differences, depending exactly. on our attitudes towards these. Exactly. That's really, yes. Really interesting. But um, yeah. yeah, I'd love to hear as well, Nehama, before we jump into these personality types that often have issues, I'd love to hear yes. from your own experience, yeah. insights have you had about yourself? or your own journey from this work that you've done in personal profiling? So um, I think that every person, every personality, every individual has the place, myself included, where we, it's hard for us to accept when we've disappointed someone else when we've possibly even disappointed ourselves, when we've done something that, you know, we don't feel so proud of, when we've done something that failed in some way. And I think it's a sensitive point for every human being that sensitivity manifests in different ways. Um, for me, um, you know, I've always, my, my personality naturally tends towards stubbornness, towards absolutely not wanting to admit I'm wrong ever. I mean, that's, that's my natural inclination. Um, at the same time, and these two go together, although they seem almost opposite, but self-judgment. I, I have a strong tendency towards self-judgment, which I don't necessarily want to admit. It's sort of this, this game I play with myself, right? So self-judgment 
which I sort of don't want to really face because it, it doesn't feel good. And so that's why I don't want to then admit to someone else the things that I'm disappointed in about myself. And so I think what, I, what I've been able to at least start to do and try to do and, and appreciate the value of is flipping that. So um, being less judgmental of myself, actually being more compassionate with myself and, and really recognizing all my strengths and that the places where I do disappoint or fail are human. They don't make me any less worthy. They don't like, they're not something to judge myself about. And that actually creates a, a sort of space, a safe space to hold ownership of choices I've made areas where I've had control, where I've had the choice, where it was in my, you know, I had the ability to, to go one way or the other. And the way that I went was not necessarily successful, whether it's something I could have predicted, whether I have something to learn from it, you know, the, it's going to be different for every situation, but just saying, you know, regardless of anything else, I'm going to, I'm going to own the fact that, you know, when I did that, it didn't work, you know? And, and that's been something that's been very, very, very hard for me my whole life, um, whether it was something that I, you know, again, could have known ahead of time, could have known, doesn't matter. I want to think of myself as, you know, every choice I make is right, you know. And so the understanding personality, because everything I do, my whole personality algorithm is all strengths-based. A very high priority. I put a very high priority on everything being looking at it from an empowering perspective. None of this is, you know, some people will use personality systems to say, I can use this personality system to tell you what your weaknesses are, what's wrong with you, how you need to, you know, fix yourself. And, and I find all that language offensive. So for me, I use my personality algorithm to help you appreciate your strengths, help you connect even more than you already are with your strengths and help you to recognize that in your humanity as an all of in our all of our humanity you know it's not about you know look around what about humanity makes you think it should be perfect because you know nothing mm -hmm. when i look i don't see anything so it's not not judge ourselves love ourselves not judge ourselves and support ourselves and you know invite support from those who can give it to us and just all positive, you know? So I've, I've, I've learned really, to do that for myself to a large extent. Yeah. That's really helpful distinction. Hannah. I, I love what you said about being focused on the positive here. That, yeah. um, and in that sense, the whole exercise can become empowering, can't it? Like yes. Recognizing the things that we're great at and how those strengths can show up in different situations. Exactly. And maybe some, maybe some other strengths that we, haven't quite developed yet let's say yes. they're latent but, but we yes. can bring them out even more 100 percent to say it's 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 brilliant to say yes latent strength that's exactly it's brilliant because the way i look at it um i look at personality as toolboxes and tools that naturally in a perfect world we would be naturally inclined to use a certain way but because of circumstances in life, we often are put in situations from a very early age where 
we sort of are forced to use the tools that we have um, either before we're ready to use them in ways that they're are not really ideal to be used, but we don't have a choice because our circumstances just provide that. So I give the analogy of if you hand a five-year-old a machete, you can't blame the five-year-old when they harm themselves and others because they're not equipped to, to, to use that tool, right? I mean, a machete can be used to cut, I don't know, cut, cut down, uh, uh, you know, what do you call it? Like on farmland, you know, whatever. You don't have to use it to be violent. I mean, it can be used for a lot of things. And if you're yeah, a grown up, you can think, oh, you know what? That's how I can use it. But if you're a child, you, you're just you're just going to be like flailing it around trying to figure out what to do. And inadvertently, it's going to cause a lot of suffering, essentially. Sure, and so I think that sure. happens to, to people in, in our lives. We're, we're just in situations where we start using our tools in ways that we we don't we're not given the opportunity to develop how we interact with those tools in, this, in, in, in a way that's sort of going to be ideal. We're not always given that opportunity. And so that's yeah. how things get off kilter sometimes. Makes sense. Thank you, Nahama. Um, that was really the intro. And I love the does get there, Nahama. That's really helpful. And what I'd like to do now is move on to the, the core part that we've wanted to touch on, which is these three lessons that can come up where if we have big differences in these specific areas we're going to be talking about, it can lead to relationship challenges. Yes. So we've got three areas, don't we, uh, Nahama? So, um, yeah, tell me, what's the first area you'd like to talk about where a difference can lead to a challenge in a, in a relationship? Yes. Um, the first area is where you really have an imbalance of power or ability to use power or desire to use power. There are different personality types that have different relationships with power. And again, I don't see power as a negative. It's a tool. People use power to do a lot of good things in the world. Um, but if you have two people, if you have one person who's inclined uh, to use power, their relationship with power is sort of very um, solid. Um, and then you have someone else who, you know, isn't necessarily comfortable really fully embracing whatever power even might be available to them, then it sort of sets itself up to be a potentially unhealthy relationship where the person who's inclined to use power will take advantage of the other person. So now, unfortunately, I think there are many relationships like that. Um, and it's really difficult. And again, as you said, in theory, you know, we can make any relationship healthy if we choose to make it healthy. I think that that particular dynamic um, would be so challenging that I think um, it's extremely likely that if you had that kind of dynamic, it would probably be best for that relationship for each person to find a different partner. You know, it doesn't, again, nothing is 100%. You might have a situation where somehow it could be worked through, but I think that that's a tough one. To work through i think it's sort of once it's been established like that yeah yeah so just help me understand that so if you've got someone who is very willing to use power let's say they're yeah they're comfortable exercising their yes. power should we say exactly and someone who is more reluctant or hesitant yeah. to exercise their power how right. how would that look what kind of things might be happening so you might have someone who one person would be very critical of the other person um they would be very demanding and critical and um 
sort of expect, you know, I think that could easily slide into emotional abuse, verbal abuse, if not even physical abuse, um, because people who have a very intimate relationship with power um, tend to also get frustrated more easily because the things that sort of trigger them to, uh, to reach for their power. I mean, you could have someone super healthy who is ne never goes to power from a triggered place. They only go to it from a total free will place, but I think that's extremely unusual. I think you'd, you'd be hard pressed to find someone like that. So most people, the, people who tend to have a very intimate relationship with power, the reason that they have that intimacy with power is because from a very early age, that's how they, uh, that's, that's the way they made themselves feel safe. And so what that means is they would encounter situations where they did not feel safe and that would trigger them to immediately tap into their power so that they could feel safe. And so what that means is that normally the pathway to accessing their power and to sort of, you know, touching base with their power is a negative trigger. So what happens as they get comfortable using it is they have, that means that they have blueprints. They have blueprints for things that felt painful, felt disempowering in a way that really influenced them. And again, there's certain personalities that would feel particularly sensitive to their power being taken away as young children. Um, and so it would be a trigger. And so what happens is then you have a blueprint. Their psyche has a blueprint for, and once there's a blueprint in the psyche, it takes a lot less than it did originally, right? To, to trigger that blueprint, because the blueprint is very much, it's sort of a go-to, you know, it's, it's a file cabinet, you know, it's, it's a, it's, a, you know, the drawer that's ready to be opened. It's a file that's ready to be opened. You know, it's right at the top of the top. It's at the top of the file pile. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, so then someone else does something that disappoints them, even though objectively it's not, it triggers that blueprint for them. And so that's what triggers them to go into their power. And so they will typically, uh, I'll sort of describe it as an overreaction in the sense that it's, it's unhealthy and, and it converge on abuse in terms of how they respond to that trigger. I see. So when you say it's uh, unhealthy, is that because yeah. the power is exercised in ways that maybe impact negatively on someone else or maybe making decisions Ye that right, rightly belong I think to somebody else? Is that what you mean? Beautif beautifully said. Beautifully said. I mean, I think I think I define unhealthy. I mean, yeah, I, basically you define unhealthy. I define unhealthy as... Um, it, it, yeah, causing someone else, I, I see it taking away from someone else, essentially, so that taking away from someone else so that I can sort of have something that's not, I mean, there are obviously healthy ways that one person gives and one person receives. Right. But there the various elements that are is that person volunteering to give or are we taking it from them against their will? So to me, unhealthy, you know, sort of the, the first step in an unhealthy dynamic is that it's not it's not consensual. It's not consensual. 
So it's, you know, it's not just physical intimacy that's about consent. Every interaction we have with someone, there's an element of consent or there isn't. Mm -hmm. And so if there's an interaction between two people where there's not, you know, full consent on both parts, that's not healthy. I agree. Amazing. I love the way you uh, explain that. Thank you, uh, Nahama. So great. So we've covered the first one. So this is about how we relate to power control yeah. and where there's a difference. So thanks, yeah. thanks for that one. Um, let's move on to the second one. Sometimes you can have two personalities and there's not a right or wrong, but it's just a style of communication where if you have two people with these opposing styles, it's just asking for trouble, if you will. Sometimes you have people with, with the, the opposing styles that I'm about to describe. Sometimes there are two people who have these opposing styles and are very comfortable with each other. Just because we don't have that style doesn't mean that we're not comfortable with someone else. But there are times when you have two people who are comfortable with these opposing styles. And that has to do with, um, do we tend sort of a spectrum of how we focus or, or how, how, yeah, how we focus? Do we tend to focus on one thing? Do we tend to stay with one thing for an extended period of time, focus on thing at a time? Or do we tend to just million irons in the fire, jump from thing to thing. We just, we, we, we need to feel like we're not missing out on anything. Okay. And there can be, you know, as, as human beings, we can have situations where we go to one situations, we go to the other, but fundamentally you have there, there's, you, you could make an observation about humanity that you have some people who are specifically uncomfortable with a more, you know, linear focus on one thing for an extended period of time that irritates them. And you have other people for whom being all over the place, being, you know, just a million different things going on is irritating to them. So if you have those two people in a relationship, I mean, you're just, it's, it's a recipe for frustration, for sort of people just getting agitated. Yeah. And so as, essentially it's, it's, that, yeah. yeah. So I'm just going to say now, just to clarify though. So yeah, it's like a difference in preference of how they like to yes. focus. So one between very yes. focused on a single thing, single point of focus, and the other being more right. multi-focused at the same time. And exactly. That they could frustrate each other. Is that is that how that would look, Nehama, if that was happening? But potentially. So potentially two people like that could get along because sometimes, and that's a way where it's possible for opposites to attract. And as long as each person sort of, it's not about the style that they use. It's the style that they're comfortable with in other people. For example, you might have someone who tends to multitask, but they need someone who's more focused because for them, if they had someone else who was multitasking, they'd be multitasking on different things. And then they would just both feel overwhelmed and they wouldn't be able to get the support from the other person. So it's not, it's not like, oh, two people have to be, but it's about what, not what we do, but what we need from others. So, you, have, you know, people, if it's what we need from someone else. So if I, if I need, and it's what we're comfortable with in someone else. So if what I need from someone else is more focused and they're all over the place, whether I am, whether it's like me or different from me, that's not going to work. So, and, and vice versa, if I, if I don't like someone who's too focused, if that sort of is a trigger for me and it feels limiting to me, then the other way around. So I'll give you an example. Specifically, this might come out, two people are trying to plan a trip together. Now, usually in a, in a couple, 
you'll have one person who more takes on that role. Like usually they don't, most couples, I don't think plan trips together. I think they, one, one member of the couple is like, yep, I'll, I'll do that. Cause they, for them it's fun. And the other person's like, great. I super appreciate it because that's not fun for them. So usually that's how it goes, but let's say you have a situation, you know, just they, they need to, I think, or you know what, different example, you have kids, you have to decide together what school the kids go to and what after school program they're part of. Now, sometimes even in those situations, you have one parent who's like, yep, I'm going to decide the other parents like, sure, whatever you decide, I really don't care. It's fine. I trust your judgment, whatever you think. But you do have plenty of situations where both parents really want to be involved in that decision. They really want to know. They have different priorities for, for what their kids are you know, going to be exposed to, how much downtime they have, right? And they need to negotiate that mm-hmm. together, okay? Sure. So, so let's say you have to, and let's say that um, even if, so again, this can be done, this can be happen at many levels. Even if normally their division of labor, division of responsibilities means that they don't conflict around how, how they do things because they tend to have a very clear division of labor. One, one, you know, where one member of the couple is very focused and the other tends to do things in a multitasking way, but they, they each have the things that they do. And for each of them, the things that they do happen to even match really well with their style. It's perfect. Okay. You're not even going to have a constant issue, but then they have to make a decision together. And mm. the person who's focused like, okay, great. I'm going to, I'm creating the spreadsheet. And we're just going to zoom right down. We're going to do it. And then we're going to narrow it down this way. And the other parent is like, oh, my God. These decisions are not something you can decide in a spreadsheet. Okay, we have to just we have to like, you know, take the kids on an outing and, you know, sort of like play different games and see which ones they like. I don't know. You know, like their whole approach is just going to be. Yes. So, so in that case, just to get clear, so with the spreadsheet, yeah. that's the focus yeah. mindset, is it? That's the person trying to be sort of single focus on one decision and the other. On one approach. It's sort of they want to stream yeah. because they, they want to streamline the process. Right. So even though a spreadsheet can have lots of data in it, but the process of using a spreadsheet is very focused. And you stay in it. When you do a spreadsheet, you don't, you know, make a note and then leave and you know, make dinner and then come back and make us and fill in the second box and then go and watch a TV show, right? You stay in the process of creating the spreadsheet until it's done. I mean, to the extent mm-hmm. that you have the data available, you might say, oh, I need more data. That's different. But you're still, you're still focused on, on, on this process, on the trajectory, right? By saying, oh, I just need to take a detour to get more data to bring in here. Whereas the other person's like, I'm not going to spend the next hour looking at a spreadsheet. Not going to happen. Like, no, I, we need to make this. And this is a much more emotional decision. And we have to ask the kids. And if we just ask them, they're not going to be able to answer right away. So we need to go and, you know, have just be doing different things and just, you know, you know, they're, they're four and five and they're eight, you know, their ages three to six. They're not going to be able to answer. We have to go and spend a day going to the zoo and to the museum and we have to see what they like doing. Right. It's like a totally different way of engaging with the decision-making process. 
right? Yeah. So I mean, it, it sounds like it sounds like that's much more emotional as well, Nehama. It's more like emotional. Yes, intuition it usually would go with it. Right. You, that usually, not always, but yeah, I think it would tend to be more, yeah, consistent with that. Yeah, yeah. I see. So when, yeah, when one of us that like, is more logical, yeah. it could be the guy, could be the woman yeah. as well, of course. But yeah, um, and then the other is more flowing, emotional, spontaneous. Exactly. You've got the recipe for seeing things a bit differently. Yes, that, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and and I think that often um, the f- sort of focus style does correspond to generally what you're describing as being more logical or emotional. But I do, I do want to say something because yeah. I, for example, look at myself personally, I am highly logical and I'm also highly emotional. So my, I, I tend to be very focused. Like when I want to make a decision, I want to zoom in. I don't actually like spreadsheets because I don't like paperwork, but my process is going to be very focused, but I'm also highly emotional. So I just want to say that those do necessarily, those are really independent of each other. People tend to group them together and there may be cases where they are grouped together, but they not necessarily. That's great. Thanks for clarifying that. It's useful to, yeah. to think about that. Thank you. So, okay, amazing. I, I really get that, Nahama. Thanks for bringing that to life again. So this yeah. difference in you know multitasking versus focus and single, uh, yeah. single goal uh, approach. I love that. Let's move on to the third one. I'm really particularly interested in this one. Share, share yes. with us what this is yes. all about. So I'm going to, when, when I, I'm going to use, a word pain. And when I use the word pain, I don't just mean literal pain. I'm, I'm using the term, like, if you've heard the phrase, you know, pain point, right? Like if you're, if you're running a business and you want to, you talk about your customer's pain point, right? You're not talking just about, do they have physical pain? You're talking about the thing that, that, that pains them in life. You know, the, the challenge that sort of, you know, gets in their way that, that, that really just they experience as, as something unpleasant, right? As something that they don't like dealing with in some way. And so it's, we assume, let's say I'm unhappy. Someone, I'm in a relationship with a partner and they do something and I, I, it doesn't feel good to me. Something about either a consequence of their actions, the actual action, how, how that action felt to me when they did it, something about it triggered a pain point in me. Okay. I have a way of expressing that. Now, something that we as a society really don't consider, I think, for the most part, is that how we communicate when our pain point has been triggered is very individual. Personality has a significant impact on that on how we tend to communicate our pain point. But it's not something that we, as a, even though it's something that should be super obvious, it's not something that as a society we recognize. So for example- How would you recognize that? How would you see it? Yeah. So we, if literally, if we just thought about it, we would see it right away. So children, if anyone who has children, and it's just from when they're born, okay? Some babies, newborns, when they're not happy, God forbid it feels like if someone heard it, they'd want to call the police because they would feel that this child was being physically harmed. They just, they're, 
screaming bloody murder. Okay. It's just, that's how they communicate. That's how they express when they're not happy. You have another child. I'm talking infants. This is before they, this is just, they're born with this. Okay. Mm. When they're, they could be in extreme discomfort and they might just, you'll see they're they'll stop being interactive. They might be like, ah, ah, you know, they're just sort of feeling almost into themselves. Okay. Now, these things develop also. So it's nature and nurture, right? But we're born with certain baselines. And then how our how, what we experience in life sort of directs that to whatever extent. But there's a limit from the beginning. We sort of are born with a certain potential range. And then where we go within that range then is influenced by our experiences. The same thing as adults. And this, this again, very much relates to personality. You have some personalities and some individuals when they're not happy, we're talking a rant, crying. They seem very melodramatic. They, people would judge their, the way they're expressing themselves as overreacting. Um, just, you know, that again, various specifics, many examples and specific directions that that could play out. And then you have other people and other personalities who, and some people are a comb- have a combination depending on what the situation is, but I'm trying to just paint a picture of the extremes. One is, so the one is, is the very emotional. The other is as grown ups, people who, um, well, I'm actually going to point out three different. One is, so the first are very emotional. The second is, I'll say tends towards what we tend to describe as passive aggressive. They won't respond. It's like an oak tree. You know, it's like the difference between a, a reed on, a, on, on the side of a river and an oak tree, right? That analogy where it takes, mm. for the reed, it takes nothing and it starts blowing it looking like crazy, but it's never going to uproot itself. I mean, it will do that forever. An oak tree, it takes a huge amount. It's going to stay and really not be influenced. I mean, the leaves will, but the trunk is not going to be influenced by even a pretty strong wind. But if you do have a wind, if you have a hurricane and it, the and the oak is you know, that's it. It's dead. It's gone. There's nothing, you know, there's mm-hmm. no, it's, it, it can't come back to life. And so it's yeah. the same thing. You have people with those extremes, some, the smallest thing, they react, they're very reactive. Other people, no, no, even, even something that's hugely stressful for them. They like pan faced, you know, whatever, shutting down in whatever way, they're just not expressing it. But then if something does push them, then they go into more trauma and then it takes a lot more for them to right. come back to center. It's a different process. Then you have, and again, these are all extremes. And then there's a third extreme. When I say extreme, I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying it's sort of an extreme example, like just to paint it as mm. making it super obvious. Um, yeah. Where you have someone who is wants to talk it out. So they're not emotional, but they're very um, analytical, but they they sort of are like, I'm not, again, that they, they would tend to go with the highly focused as well. Something happens. I don't, we're going to, we're going to talk if it's the next, for the next 12 hours, nonstop, you can take a bathroom break, but we are not ending this discussion until this issue is resolved. So it's not emotional. It's very analytical. It's almost like a debating, right? So those are sort of three, you know, uh, extreme examples of different styles extreme. of how we want to respond, how we want to be responded to, what we want to do about it when we are, you know, 
Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that again. And what would it look like where we have differences in a relationship, mm -hmm. let's say, between the different pain styles yeah. that you've described? How would that play out or how would it look? So which two would you want me to give an example of first? I mean, I could do the other mm -hmm. two, but for now, pick two. Pick two that you would want me to give an example. Uh, you choose. Just start with the first two, maybe. Okay. So um, now, of course, it depends who's feeling the pain point, right? So if you you have a, you have okay so you have a, you have two people and the person who uh tends to be more stoic right and and sort of in a way they don't part of it is they don't feel they have the right they probably grew up where it was like you know grin and bear it you know i hate this expression but suck it up you know they had to learn to just not not you know just just deal within themselves someone who sort of has that as their reference point and sort of what they've been, what life has sort of trained them to do. And obviously they have the ability to do it because they have a certain core personality that's able to manage things that way and might tend towards that. Let's say they made a decision. Let's say, um, or not even that, I'm going to, here, I'll do something. They were, Valentine's Day, we just had Valentine's Day. So they bought... And this is something you see, you know, sort of, you see that on social media with various degrees of sort of humor or whatever attached to it. But, you know, I bought you a brand new vacuum cleaner for Valentine's Day because I know that you were complaining about the old vacuum cleaner. Aren't you excited? Doesn't this make you so happy? It's the top of the line vacuum cleaner. I, I, I thought you'd be so happy. Okay. Other person happens to not be thrilled about that because they didn't, that's not what they wanted for Valentine's Day. It would have been great as an impromptu, you know, something just because they need a new vacuum cleaner, but they don't want their Valentine's Day gift to be used up on that vacuum cleaner, on said vacuum cleaner. And Generally, they're emotional. They they care about the emotional connection. They know that they're not on an everyday basis getting that cuddly, you know, affection that they really wish they had. But they sort of are like, okay, once a year, I've let that person know. Once a year, they know that that's just what I want from them. The emotional, something emotional. Hmm. And they're giving me a vacuum cleaner. Hmm. Oh, okay. Um, so the person is just going to feel like they, in their mind, this is, you know, this person should know this. They've expressed it multiple ways, multiple times. They're not going to right now have a long, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no patience left. As far as they're concerned, this is, this is the last straw. It's not the first. So they're going to just be like all emotional. And just be like, and the other person's like, oh, my God, I did. I thought I was doing this perfect thing. And now they're emotional. And I, I'm sure you can imagine how, what that would lead to in the relationship. Conversely, Absolutely. conversely. The person who's more stoic, um, you know, they're, you know, they uh, had a really long day and um they're coming home late, actually, because they had such a long day. And they're really looking forward because every day their partner makes dinner and has, a you know, and, and 
you know, they're really looking forward to that dinner. This particular day, the other person who um, also having to do with the other person, I think, you know, maybe there was also had a, had a kind of crazy day, somehow didn't manage to make dinner. That person comes home and says, hey, can you just order? Can you just order? I didn't have time to make dinner. Okay. That first person who normally is very stoic about huge things, but they were really, really counting on that. They were really counting on this. And they're going to be, whether they might, they're probably going to be passive aggressive. That's the normal sort of go-to. And that, and the other person's like, okay, I can tell you're being passive aggressive. What? You know, what, what, what? I, I had a long day and I really just, wanted a home cooked meal. And I, I even called you and told you that I texted you. Well, I was going to, but then this thing happened and I wasn't able to, what's the big deal? Mm. Just order. Okay. You can understand that that would also lead to a feeling of just, you know, would be tough to resolve, even though it's, it's, you know, see what I mean? It's sort of a a different mindset and way of approaching what's important to us. What happens when we don't, when that's not met. Fantastic. Does that help? So fascinating. Thanks. It does help massively. And um, the last question I wanted to ask, it was, you know, if people are listening and they're thinking, mm-hmm. wow, there's some quite big differences here between me and my partner. What yeah. could you recommend or what could you suggest in terms of living with or dealing with these bigger differences? I mean, my personality algorithm <laughs> helps with that. I mean, I, I think that it is important to um, especially at the early stages, to find a facilitator that you're comfortable with, honestly. Um, and every facilitator is going to have their method and their approach and you find someone you're comfortable with. Um, and, you know, any facilitator can sort of tap into my personality algorithm if they want to. Um, but I, I think, you know, there's a lot more to it. I think once you've established the language of whether it's my personality algorithm, whether it's another approach, you know, then you can use it on your own. But I think to establish the language, it, it really does help to have a facilitator. That's a really great point. And, and just on that point, Nehama, um, how can people find out more about your work and your algorithm and the work that you yeah. do? So my website, unconflict.com, that's uh, www.uncon flict.com. Um, and if they want to reach out to me, um, please use the contact form. I do get messages. I respond promptly. Use the contact form on the website. Fantastic. That's been, it's been a really fascinating discussion. I've loved hearing your, your insights around this area. And there's so much more we could say here and so yeah. much more maybe we will say in our future yeah, episode. Maybe. But, um, I just wanted to say a massive thank you again for joining us here today and sharing your insights and wisdom and knowledge with all our listeners on the on the show well i want to thank you so much uh for having me you are just i mean of course you know across the pond as they say um you know i have to say you just you i i love how you i love how you communicate i mean you just it's it's really beautiful and I just have huge respect for for how you communicate and how you do what you do. Um, It's really been an honor. It's really been an honor to, to be your guest. Thank you so much. Okay, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining us. And please remember to subscribe and to leave us a review. Who could you share this episode with that needs to hear this message? Share this episode and remember that the quality of your relationship determines the quality of your life.
See you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to Speaking of Humanity, a podcast about human connection.